0: The reading this morning is from Nehemiah chapter four, which you can follow on page 488 of the church Bibles. Opposition to the build rebuilding. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? <clears throat> Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite Who was at his side said, What are they building? If even a fox climbed up on it, he would break down their wall of stones. Hear us, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the men of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead, and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, Sorry. The strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God.
1: Well, thank you, Gwyneth. Do um, keep uh, your finger in that page, on page 488 of the Church Bibles. uh, We're going to be looking through that passage Uh, thinking about what it might mean for us today and in those times. So let's pray as we do that. Father God, may the, the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our God, our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. Well. I wonder uh, how you feel as we approach a general election. Are you feeling hopeful, engaged, excited by all that it brings? If you are, um, according to the media, you are in the minority. Issues of Brexit and uh, NHS funding and floods and education brings anxiety and in some cases despair. And perhaps for many, the real concern is that there doesn't seem to be any particular plan to fix the problems. Broadband, for all, might not address the underlying issues of finance and welfare and social cohesion. And then, as a Christian, you may look on this country and see how spirituality is also at a low ebb. That upholding Christian values, whether that be in social media or in schools or in the workplace, or even sometimes in churches, now seems an immense task in the face of a culture that doesn't always welcome Christianity or the gospel. I don't say this to make us feel down on a cold November morning. I say this because I think in some ways it mirrors in a small way the feeling of the Israelites in Jerusalem in 445 B.C., The spiritual boundaries of God's people were in ruins. The physical walls of Jerusalem were in disrepair and enemies could advance at any time. There seemed no plan to fix the problem. The citizens lived in discontent, in despair and in fear. God's exiled people and the remnant in Jerusalem were the laughing stock. And God's reputation was in tatters. I mean, what kind of God would allow his people to live like this? What did this say about the spiritual work that God had promised? That Israel would be a light to the nations. That light seemed to be extinguished, or at best just flickering in the darkness. If you've been here the last few weeks, you'll be familiar with the story In Persia, 500 miles from Jerusalem, one of the children of the exile, Nehemiah, had heard that the news that the wall of Jerusalem was in tatters, and he'd fallen to his knees to pray. God heard his prayer, gave him favor with the king, and he'd returned to Jerusalem, started to rebuild the walls. Nehemiah was convinced that God had called him to do this, and that this was God's task for the people. And so he reminded them in chapter 2 that the God of heaven will bring us success. Yes, this task was difficult. But the people could have confidence that the God of heaven would bring success. I would love for the story to end there, wouldn't we? When we face a great task of bringing our children up in the way of Christ, of letting our neighbors know that Jesus loves them, paid for their sin offers life in all its fullness when we work our way through suffering we'd love it if the only thing we had to deal with was our own uncertainty if it was just us that we had to to tell um, that the God of heaven will bring us success that's a truth surely we can rely on that But when we're called to God's work, it's never just an internal struggle. Today in chapter 4, we see the reality of what happens when God's people hear God's call and act on it. Opposition comes. The reality of opposition in the face of God's work was a reality for Nehemiah, it was a reality for Jesus. And for all those that have followed him since. For some, opposition is a consequence of simply holding to Christian faith. For some today, they will receive death threats. Soldiers will literally surround them on all sides, just as Nehemiah and his friends may have experienced God's people are persecuted around the world today, and opposition is real. Look at the work of Open Doors, and you will hear about the persecuted church across the world. We are called to pray for our sisters and brothers in these situations, to advocate for them and to encourage them where we can. But the question we have today is how do we apply opposition to ourselves who presumably don't experience such forthright uh, opposition or persecution? You see, opposition is there even if we experience it somewhat differently. The writer Paul Tripp recognizes that persecution and opposition for faith might not be the everyday experience of those in the Western world. So he refers to it as the heat of this life. Where are we experiencing the heat of this world in the light of the gospel? For some, it will be because they are deselected by their political party, because their faith is at odds with the public image that it wants to convey. For some, it will come as they work through what the new RSE curriculum will mean for faith in schools from September. For others, it will be how to approach the questions of antenatal or end-of-life care in the fields of health care and medicine. I guess for all of us, it might come when we or those whom we love are diagnosed with cancer or with Alzheimer's Or with whatever the condition is, or when we find that our relationships are broken, or our children or our spouse has turned away from faith, or we struggle with addictions. When heat comes, it's painful and it gets your attention. Where are you experiencing heat? What is causing pressure? Where are you finding it hard? When Nehemiah experiences the heat of doing the task that God has set him, look what happens. Verses 1 to 3, opposition comes. Sambalat, a man with authority and position in the area around Jerusalem, becomes angry and incensed. Now, we need to watch this man because his name means bramble bush, or secret enemy. He's the kind of person that can get you ensnared in the prickles of his arguments, who won't let you out of his orbit. He starts ridiculing the Jews. He discourages them with derision. What on earth are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore this wall? Can they bring life to these stones? If you've been a Christian for any time, or if you're seriously considering the claims of Jesus, then it's likely that you'll know that mockery. I mean, what on earth are you doing? Are you seriously giving up your Sunday morning to be part of that church? You don't really believe that God came to earth as a person, do you? People don't rise from the dead. And honestly, all this talk about lives being transformed by Jesus. I mean, I know the reality. How are you and that ragtag bunch of people really going to be involved in transforming communities, developing godly leaders, growing churches? I mean, come on. And as the questions come, well, others join in, don't they? Tobiah joins the fray. Just look at what they're trying to do. Even if a fox climbed on that wall, it would break it down. Can you relate to that mockery and derision? If you can relate to it, I wonder if you can also relate to the way that Nehemiah and the people respond. Verses 4 to 6. They respond with prayer and with practicality. You see, most of us respond to that kind of opposition with defense, with justification, with self preservation. But Nehemiah responds firstly in prayer. In the face of opposition, he turns to prayer. He turns to the Lord and prays because he's confident that the Lord has called him and he's confident that the Lord hears him and he's confident that the Lord is sovereign. Secondly, he responds with practicality. He responds with action. Do you see it in verse 6? He prays and then so we rebuilt the wall. We got on with it. In the face of opposition, confident in his calling, confident in the need to rebuild the walls, or in our case, confident that we are called to see lives transformed by Jesus, he turns to the Lord in prayer and he gets on and he places another brick in the wall. He gets on with it. In the face of opposition, Nehemiah turns to the Lord in prayer and he gets on with the job. Thanks, Dan. That's very simple. Nice word. We pray and we get on with it. And then hopefully everything comes together. Is that what happens? Just look at the next stage of the story. I want want you to see that it doesn't end there. That's not what scripture says. You see, you and I, we want God to answer the prayer. That the wall is rebuilt and everyone goes home and lives happily ever after. But that is not what happens. Do you see what happens? The cycle continues. Nehemiah prays to the Lord and verse 7, the situation gets worse. So often we think that our prayers will sort everything out. But here the situation gets worse before it gets better. The opponents heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead. The gaps were being closed and they became even more angry. They plotted together to fight against Jerusalem, to stir up trouble. From all around Jerusalem, the opponents are moving in. That's a great lesson for us in our prayer, isn't it? God doesn't remove them from the situation. He doesn't take the situation away. He does something far better, and I have to say, far more painful. God isn't just interested in some physical walls. He's interested in the hearts and lives of a people who need to learn to trust him again. Who need to learn that he is God. In the face of the heat of life, God wants you and he wants me to trust him. And he'll use these difficult situations, these trying times, this opposition to grow his people, to increase our trust in him. In our affliction, in the midst of opposition, have we asked the question, where is God in this? What is he trying to show me? Now, I know that's hard. I know that in the midst of suffering and opposition, I want the situation to be removed more than I want to see how I grow in trust in Jesus. But suffering, opposition, and affliction are a reality in this age. And in his goodness, God enables us to grow in our trust of him through them. He uses them to increase our dependence and our reliance on him. Paul writes about the troubles he'd experienced in Asia uh, in, to the Corinthian church. He says, We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. The heat rises, and what is our response? For Nehemiah, as the heat rose, his response, the response of God's people was the same. Prayer and practicality, prayer and action. Did you see it in verse 9? But we prayed to our gods, and we posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Prayerful and practical, Dependent on God, but willing to take action too. Prayer and practical action. That's the way that we encounter opposition. That's how we respond when the heat comes on. But the verses that follow give us a healthy warning. Because that duality of prayer and practical action takes its toll, doesn't it? It's not easy. Persistent opposition can grind us down. In verse 10, the strength of the laborers is giving out. We've had enough. We just can't do it. And look at all this rubble around us. Where on earth do we start with all that rubble? That sounds familiar, doesn't it? We get disheartened. There are times when we feel as though we've had enough and in those times we start to remember what our enemies have said. Verse 11, before they know it or see us, we'll be right there among them and we'll kill them and put an end to the work. All of a sudden in our weariness, the words of the enemy take center stage over the words of God. Fear and anxiety and despair take over. And you see that even our friends may warn us again and again, they will attack. You see, the reality is that when opposition comes, it doesn't just come from our enemies. It also comes from our friends. Repeatedly, ten times, they told Nehemiah, wherever you turn, they will attack us. (laughs) Did God really say you had to rebuild this wall? Get down off it now, you're wasting your time. Are you really cool to see lives transformed by Jesus? I mean, why not just keep everyone happy here on Sundays and we'll be fine? After all, there are enough pastoral concerns here to keep us busy and it all looks pretty rosy on the outside, doesn't it? We just need to keep our own children safe. Don't worry about all the others that are out there. We just need to ensure that our groups are meeting our needs. Don't worry about the fact that 96% of this area don't go to church and so we might assume don't have new life in Christ. Opposition comes to pull God's people away from his plan and sometimes it comes from our friends. How do we respond when the heat rises? Nehemiah calls us to be prayerful, and practical. You'll see it if you read through the rest of this chapter. I love the balance of using the gifts of wisdom and conscience, organization, energy, and action that God has given us with a dependence on the reality that God is sovereign and that he promises that he will build his church if we're going to see lives transformed by Jesus, if we're going to work work toward that and shape our ministry around that, then, friends, we will see opposition. But we trust the Lord for victory, and we do something practical. How are you bringing your witness and service before the Lord in prayer? And where are you doing something practical to serve the Lord in the rebuilding of his walls in this place? If you think we've got it all sorted here and you think, well, they couldn't, they couldn't need me to help serve as well, then please come and speak to me. I have a list as long as my arm of ideas where you may be able to serve the Lord here. You see, this is a place where we trust in the Lord and we each have a role to carry stones to blow trumpets or to wield swords as God rebuilds his people. And Lastly, I hope you see that we do this together. In verse 13, Nehemiah posts people to the low points of the wall. He encourages God's people to look out for one another, to support one another, and particularly in the place of frailty and weakness, to give particular support. And as he does so, he commands them, verse 14, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives and your homes. As you return to the place of building God's wall, your place of proclaiming God's love and truth in your workplace, community, school or in the place where the heat has come, Do note that Nehemiah's call not to be afraid centers on remembering the Lord who is great and awesome. Back then, the people of Israel would have looked back to the action of the God who brought them out of Egypt, the great and awesome God who rescued them from slavery, brought them to the promised land and to freedom from bondage. Two and a half thousand years later, where do we look? Well, we remember Jesus and his cross. It's here that we see the ultimate victory over opposition, the perseverance to keep going even through death. He defeats death and sin so that we can live in life and forgiveness. The Israelites look forward to a rescuer, a Messiah who would fight for them. We look to Jesus who is our Messiah, who is our rescuer, who has fought for us, who has won and given us the victory. A victory that we will know in full when he returns. If you don't know that truth, if you don't stand under the shelter of his wings when the heat rises, when opposition comes, if you don't know how much he gave for you that you can willingly serve to be part of his great building project for his church and this world, if you don't know how to stand in the face of opposition in the heat of life without crippling fear, then can I encourage you towards the response of Nehemiah, Pray to your Father in heaven who hears you, who loves you, and who will fight for you. And do something practical. Speak with me or one of the team if you want some ideas of what that looks like. Remember the truth that Jesus has won the victory. He's bought peace and he offers life forever. And the wall may slowly Steadily, wonderfully be built through prayer and practicality in the name of Jesus. It's His kingdom that we build in this place. Let's pray. Verse 15 right after this passage that we've looked at this morning, says, when our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. Father God, in those places where the heat Rises where opposition or suffering or affliction is upon us. Would you help us to be those who are at work in the great project of seeing your kingdom come as we pray and as we take action? Lord Jesus, would you build your church as you've promised. Amen.